It is uh, a real honor and, and joy and privilege to, to be with you all this morning. Um, it's a bit emotional, actually. Um, I came to faith when I was 15 years old in a small little congregation that met in a school cafeteria in Central Florida. So it is great to see uh, all these children and uh, to see you gathering together uh, to worship the Lord. My name is Neil. Uh, I'm one of those people who goes just by their first name, you know, like Madonna. Um, uh, but really glad to be able to be here with you and to get to share more openly in a more intimate setting. Sometimes it's hard to share. So what a pleasure, again, to just be with you, to get to open God's Word, to reflect on some of the things the Lord's teaching me. Um, I am very much a follower of Jesus in process. Um, I am continuing to learn uh, who he has called me to be, who he has made me to be, who he wants me to be, and how he is working in and through my life. And so I just hope to, to share some of what he's been teaching me uh, this morning with you. So if you would, uh, turn to 1 Peter, uh, where we will be based out of this morning. Uh, we will look at uh, chapter 2 specifically, uh, beginning in verse 4. So hear the word of the Lord. As you come to him, the Lord Jesus, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and the stone of stumbling a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. The word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we do come to you. We come to you, our, our cornerstone, our rock, our precious chosen one who went before us who has gone before us and has redeemed for himself as the, the worthy lamb of God through his blood, through your blood slain for us to redeem us, to purchase us, to be your people. You have sought us out as those who were lost and you have brought us to yourself and you have made us your chosen people. And so we ask now that by your spirit, you would 
come and, and, and be with me, forgive me, and work in me and through me to communicate your truth to your people. And we ask, too, that you would open the ears and eyes and understanding of your people, that we might believe, that we might repent and believe the gospel that we hear this day, and that by the power of the Spirit, we might live lives differently and might live in the power of that gospel that you have brought to us. This is what we long for, to be the people that you have redeemed us to be. Come and in your mercy, be with us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. So as I mentioned, I work with Mission to the World, our denominational mission agency. Uh, Lloyd Kim, our director, has set before us a vision to see the gospel of the kingdom advancing into all the earth. And so some of what I've been reflecting on is how is this going to happen? How is this gospel of the kingdom going to advance into all the earth? And it has to be when we, the people of God, the church of God, are living as Jesus has redeemed us to be. And so want to look at that in our passage. What, what has Jesus done for us? Who has Jesus made us to be? And uh, this has been given to us um, as well as MTW missionaries, as a guide, as a directive, and we call them our norms, of our cultural norms. What type of people do we want to be as missionaries as we go into the world to be a part of the gospel of the kingdom advancing? And as I mentioned, we, we look here in First Peter and we see what the Lord Jesus has done for us, that he has made us this holy, royal priesthood. I, I assume you are familiar with this idea that, that we are a priesthood, that this priesthood of all believers was one of those foundational reform teachings that, that every, cre- every Christian, uh, whatever age, whatever gender, whatever vocation, is in fact a priest of God. Uh, it was something that was begun as a, a, a vision in the very Gospels itself. Uh, I'm sorry, in the garden itself. When God created us in the garden, Adam and Eve, he established them and said to fill the earth, to subdue it, to take dominion, and to live in, in worshipful relationship with God. They had a kingdom mandate, and they had this priestly mandate as well, as we saw it in the, the um, reading today of Exodus 19, we saw that there at the foot of Sinai, the people of God were being established as a kingdom, as a kingdom of priests. We see here Peter sharing with us what Jesus is doing and continuing to do as he establishes this priesthood. If you look to the book of Revelation, uh, you see the book of Revelation in the first chapter addressed to this kingdom of priests. And then you get this beautiful picture in Revelation 5, where worthy is the lamb who was slain. Why was he slain? But to redeem for himself a people, a holy, royal priesthood. So that is the foundation of, of what we're talking about this morning. And what I want to look at beyond that is what does it mean to be this type of priesthood? 
What are the aspects of our priesthood? What, how should we live? Uh, what should we do? What is our identity? Because I believe one of my concerns is that we have somehow lost this idea that we individually and together are this community of priests. In Azerbaijan, where I've been living for these last 12 years, I've had the opportunity to work with a historic church, the Caucasian Albanian Apostolic Church, which I assume none of you have ever even heard of. You did not know that Bartholomew, the disciple of Jesus, went to Azerbaijan and established this church. And in fact, disciples of James were sent out from Jerusalem to go to the Caucasus Mountains and to establish a church and a denomination that would have a seat at the tables of all of the councils, the Council of Nicaea and Chalcedon. One, we may not have heard of it because we're American and sometimes we don't know our church history very well. But one of the reasons you don't know about it is because it was lost. It was a church that, that lost its priests. With the rise of Islam in the 6th and 7th century in that part of the world, uh, it began to be persecuted and people were killed and the church began to shrink. But it wasn't Islam that actually killed it. It was secular, atheistic communism that ended up taking the last priest some hundred years ago to the gulags, burning their books and getting rid of their liturgies. And what happens when you lose your priests? Worship no longer happens. Prayers no longer happen. Church services no longer happen. Baptisms no longer happen. And the church suffers greatly. So much so when some of the first missionaries came to this area of Azerbaijan where this denomination, this apostolic church had its roots, said, we hear that you are Christian. We hear that you are an ancient Christian denomination. And they said, yes, we are Christians, but there is no God. Atheistic Christians. We've heard of atheistic Jews and, maybe, and there are atheistic Muslims. They were cultural Christians living in a multicultural world, but they lost their identity as priests and they therefore no longer worshiped. I fear that we as a church are on the verge of losing the understanding of the priesthood of all believers. We are seeing a greater and greater dichotomy between the professional clergy and the laity. And much of the Christian church is not living as it should live. But unless we recover this identity, I believe that we will not see the kingdom of priests advancing as Jesus has redeemed us to be. So this morning, I want to give you two practical ways to, to live as priests. Each and every one of you, from child to retired, how can we live as priests? The first way we see in verse 5, that we would begin to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In the second way, in verse 9, 
that we would proclaim the praises, the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into his marvelous light. So what might that look like? What does it mean to offer up spiritual sacrifices and to be proclaiming the excellencies of him? In this journey of helping to restore this apostolic church, um, I've had the privilege of getting to know Father Gabriel and Bishop Saliba. They're with the Syriac Church. Uh, the Syriac Orthodox Church comes out of Antioch, where uh, we were first called Christians. Uh, Bishop Saliba is a, a joyful man, um, a, a man of God and humility, uh, but he loves to joke. And uh, when I first met him and talking with him, uh, he said, uh, Neil, do you know much about the Syriac church? And I was like, honestly, Bishop Saliba, I'm sorry, I, I don't. He's like, that's okay. Um, just one thing you ought to know is um, we are an Aramaic-speaking church, and so we pray the Lord's Prayer like Jesus prayed the Lord's Prayer. Aramaic was the language that was spoken by the early church, by Jews in uh, the time of Jesus. And they continue their worship. Coming out of Antioch and Damascus, the Syriac church is probably one of the oldest Orthodox churches. And one thing that I love about them, Father Gabriel and I were traveling in the, the country of Georgia, which is next to Azerbaijan. And while we were there, we were working on this council where we were trying to help the Albanian, the Caucasian Albanian church um, establish their liturgy. Uh, Father Gabriel and I went to the market to buy souvenirs for his friends back in Mardin, Turkey. Georgia is known for its wine and its cheeses, some very delicious food for some beautiful handicrafts. But Father Gabriel was, kept looking. He kept going and trying to see what, what he could find. What would he buy his friends and family in Georgia? And I was surprised when he settled on buying them incense censers. As you know, the Orthodox Church still burns incense as an act of worship. But it's not just a sacrifice, a spiritual sacrifice. What is the spiritual sacrifice behind that? We see it in Revelation 5. When this great picture where, where John is seeing and is in the throne room of God, he is seeing the Lamb who is able to take away the sins of the world, who was slain for the nations. And what is there? But incense, a golden bowl full of incense, aromatherapy for God. He loves incense. But he doesn't love the smell of incense. He loves your prayers. In that passage, it tells us that that golden bowl is full of your prayers, saints. Do we really believe that our prayers are at the throne room of God? I'm humbled by working alongside Muslims who many of them pray five times a day. A good friend of mine, Riza, who is uh, from an unreached people group called the Tots, in this village of 
1,000 people where he lives. It's predominantly coppersmiths, an ancient people group along the Silk Road who would provide copperwares for the people of the Silk Road. Lives in a town of about 1,000 people that has three mosques that daily call out, Hey, you sleepyheads, get out of bed and pray. That's a rough translation of the Arabic. (laughs) But they are called to pray five times a day. And many of them do it. They take five, six, seven minutes a day or a time out of their day to wash and to pray. And I'm challenged to to ask, do I, one, believe that my prayers are in the throne room of God as an aroma pleasing to him? And do I set aside time to, to pray, to intentionally call upon the name of the Lord? The early church had a tradition of praying seven times a day, finding that tradition out of the Old Testament, out of the Psalms. Or maybe you're familiar with the Didache, an early church document where it encouraged us to pray the Lord's Prayer three times a day. We're very familiar with the morning and evening sacrifices and that morning, evening and morning being a time for Christians to set aside to pray. What does our prayer life look like? Do we really have a sense that it is an act of our spiritual sacrifice as a priest? Do you view your prayer life as a spiritual sacrifice? What does it look like? How do you do that? What would it mean for you to wake up in the morning recognizing that you are a priest of the living God and it is your honor and privilege to pray? We see this again in Hebrews 13, 15, where it actually says, Through Jesus, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise. There's all kinds of different prayers. There's intercessory prayer. There's prayer of confession. There's adoration. Here we see particularly that our prayers of praise are a sacrifice to God. How often do you give thanks And praise to God. Again, I am humbled by my Muslim friends who have littered their vocabulary, much like my charismatic friends, with the praises of God. May our praises not be empty, may they be genuine, but may we learn to continually to offer up thanksgiving and praise to our God. These sacrifices of prayer and praise are part of our spiritual sacrifice. They're not that as priests, we no longer have to offer up literal sacrifices. What what a joy. I, I think as I look back on it, I think, wow, how hard would it be to have to offer up actual sacrifices? Eight different, in Israel, there are all kinds of different sacrifices. There were burn offerings, peace offerings. But we no longer have to do those sacrifices. But we offer up spiritual sacrifices. Uh, We used to, uh, and maybe you still do. But I find as I've come back to America that fewer and fewer people even pray before their meals as a time to pause and to give thanks and to pray and to give thanks for what God has done. What are some of the things that you can do as a family, as a church, 
to learn to offer up these types of spiritual sacrifices. Another spiritual sacrifice that we find in Hebrews again, Hebrews 13, 15 talks about our praises. The verse following it says, do not neglect to do good, to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. In this COVID world, giving our tithe and offering is much more difficult. Many of us are having to give electronically and it does not feel as uh, enjoyable or as an act of worship. Do we do it out of obligation? But it is in fact our spiritual sacrifice and it is pleasing to God. And we see that in the gift to the Philippians, particularly for this missionary effort, where we see this financial gift given and, and Paul tells them that it was a fragrant offering an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. Again, we see aromatherapy in our acts of worship for the living God. He is pleased with them. He is pleased with our generosity. One of the privileges of, of doing the work we do is we get to see the generosity of the widow, uh, the one who gives out of what they don't have. One of our projects in order to be in Azerbaijan is a handicraft project and had the privilege of meeting a woman named Simuzer who did beautiful uh, uh, overlay on glass and pottery of putting the thread and decorative work um, over these um, using national symbols. And she was a very gifted artisan. And, uh, but she was very poor. Her husband was an alcoholic. Her oldest child was deaf and mute. Uh, she had two daughters, and, and she was having to support the family. Because of her husband's alcoholism, they had been ostracized. So they, they had financial poverty. They had relational poverty. They lived in a village that was much like Nazareth. People would be like, can anything good come out of Gobu? It was an unreached Village. There were no known Christians in this town. But through our handicraft project, we got to know her. We were able to mobilize the church to, to come and encourage her, to meet with her, to eat with her, to fellowship with her, to try and encourage her. Simuzer, as she became interested in the gospel, asked me, Neil, what should I do? I, I don't know how to, to live and I said, turn your eyes to the Lord. And uh, Simuzer was praying the Lord's Prayer even before she confessed Jesus as her Lord and Savior, even before she became baptized. In God's mercy, he brought her to himself. And in bringing her to her, himself, the Lord provided for her and her family through the church. Provided her some clothing for her two daughters particularly. But Simuzer, I remember when she would call me and she would say, Neil, do you have any more clothes? And I would be, Simuzer, we just brought you a big old huffy garbage bag full of clothes. How, how, what have you done with all those? She said, we've given them away. Here is this woman living in poverty who understands what it means to be a conduit of God's blessing. I was so humbled by her generosity. 
the sharing of our physical earthly blessings that we are but stewards of is a spiritual offering acceptable to God, pleasing to him. In Romans 12, 1, we see another spiritual sacrifice. Here we are charged by Paul to present our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Many of you are familiar with those in the Muslim world that will tie bombs to themselves and give themselves as a physical sacrifice for what they believe. How much more difficult is it to be a living sacrifice, to be the, the walking dead, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow Jesus. In my current role as international director, as I oversee about 90 different uh, field workers across the world, I get to hear and see what God is doing in and through his servants that he has sent out. One family who has three small children who are living in the Middle East have recently suffered greatly. They were kicked out of one country, went to a second for refuge, and ended up going to a third to continue to minister the gospel. While there, there was a refugee crisis coming at them, and they were able to, to continue to labor. In the midst of that, the economy was tanking. The value of, of the local currency was, was going down so much that people began to demonstrate and riot. In the midst of this, as if things weren't bad enough, there's this random explosion that created terror and fear. And then, right, this is 2020, what happens? COVID, the pandemic locked into a small apartment with three small children trying to do homeschooling and ministry, helping refugees, helping those in fear. In the midst of helping others, you extract COVID, you get COVID. And they tarry on. They are seeing God bless. They are seeing Muslims come to faith left and right. He is so busy. He's like, please help. <laughs> they, they speak the local language and they are able to proclaim the gospel in the midst of that suffering. They are a living sacrifice. They are the walking dead, giving up of themselves for the sake of the gospel. They are a priest. They are living as priests in that land. The last spiritual sacrifice I want us to look at, we find in Psalm 51, verse 17, in David's prayer, we see that the sacrifices of God that are pleasing to him are but a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. We see it again in the Sermon on the Mount. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We see Jesus commending and, and pointing us to two heart attitudes. One is that of the Pharisee. One is that of the tax collector. One who understands who they are before God. I had the privilege of 
being with Dr. Lloyd Kim last, last weekend. He's the coordinator of Mission to the World, my, my boss. And he is a man of humility. He is leading us and guiding us. And I am so grateful for his example of embodying these kingdom attributes. He, he exemplifies this humility and humble dependence upon God that is reflected in his prayerfulness, which is one of our spiritual sacrifices and, and one of celebration, which is to give praise and thanks to God. One that is courageous, willing to live as a living sacrifice. These are the attributes of the priests of God. This is who we are supposed to be. And it's too much. I, I don't know about you. It's too much for me, I, I think, to, to pray, okay, to, to give praise, to, to offer up my belongings, to live a sacrifice in a contrite heart. Lord, have mercy. How can we do this? And, and I've seen these exemplified in the Muslim world. I've seen Muslims do these better than we do as Christians. They pray better than us. They give thanks and praise to God than most of us. They're very generous and courageous. But there's something that they lack. And the only thing that they lack is what we must trust and hope in. And we see it right there in verse 4 and in the verses that follow. The only way we can do this is as we come to the Lord Jesus. This is not something we can do in and of ourselves. It's not as if Jesus made us priests and said, now go and do it. Even in Exodus 19, we see that God delivered and provided and was with the people of Israel. He did all of that. And then he said, now live out of that. Here we see it again where Jesus has redeemed us. Jesus has gone before us. He is our high priest. He is the one that we look to. He is the one that we live for and we rest in. But is that the type of people that we are? Is that who we are living to be? How's that working for you? Jesus made us this kingdom of priests that we would be a part of the gospel advancing into the world. How is that going? How are we doing as a kingdom of priests? Are we filling the earth as we were first mandated to in Genesis? Well, the st statistics are a bit concerning. There's still some 40% of the world that's considered unreached. Where the gospel, unless people intentionally cross linguistic, ethnic boundaries, the gospel will not go to over 40% of the world. 24% of the world is considered the Muslim world. That's what I have been given charge of in our denomination to help us as a, as a church to engage 24% of the world with the gospel. That's difficult. And much of that is where there is little to no gospel witness. 
Many of our teams have only one missionary couple working in an entire country of some 30 million people. Fortunately, we are not the only missionaries there. We are not the only workers there. We often co-labor with what we uh, lovingly call God's team. Because there are so few workers in the Muslim world, every worker unites together and seeks to co-labor for the sake of the gospel going forth. As you consider sending people out, as you consider supporting missionaries, is at least one-fourth of the missionaries you send out and support serving in one-fourth of the world, the Muslim world? Unfortunately, it is an area that we often neglect in going to and in supporting. And so we ask, why is the kingdom not advancing? Why is the gospel not being made known in this Muslim world? Because we know that the gospel goes forth by hearing and hearing and hearing. And how shall they hear unless they are sent? It's not rocket science. It's not a mystery. It's been disobedience of the church. We are not living as the people of God that he has called us to be, as he has redeemed us to be. He has made us a royal holy priesthood that is to go into the nations and to offer up spiritual sacrifices and to proclaim his excellency. For that is how the gospel goes forth. That is how the gospel of the kingdom will go forth. And unless we raise up and send out priests, the gospel will not go forth. So what does that mean for your church? What does that mean for you? I encourage you and challenge you to first and foremost to live as the people of God that he has redeemed you to be. To raise your children to be priests of God. To worship him. And then to send out such peace. These types of priests are the ones that will carry the gospel. And this is how we must live and how we must declare and proclaim the excellencies of our God, that the gospel of the kingdom would go forth. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we come to you, our high priest. We come to you as the Lamb of God who was slain for, for us, who has redeemed us and who has made us the people that you would have us to be. We ask that you would forgive us. We ask that you would cleanse us, that you again would be, that your spirit would fill us. We thank you that you live within us and we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We pray that that spirit would rise up within us and with great boldness and with great joy, we would go out. We would go out from this place, making known, proclaiming your excellencies and living lives of spiritual sacrifice, offering them up to you morning and evening at all times for you are worthy you are worthy to be praised. Please, in your mercy, hear our prayers. 
and exalt your name, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen.